It's our first 10.30 a.m. service for the year in 2020. Some people are excited. Great. Um, I honestly wasn't looking for an applause, but thank you. Uh, Hey, usually at this time of the year is when um, there may be some of you who are visiting. Uh, This is the kind of the start of the year. This is the moment where you are thinking, either you're someone who's saying, hey, maybe for the first time I'm going to explore this truths about who God is and who Jesus is, and maybe this is the local area and you live in, and you thought, well, I might just come and see what they're like. Uh, maybe you're someone who has been attending a different church, and this is the year that you want to try a different church in the area. And we say this often at Canterbury Gardens Community Church, I just want you to know straight up now, and if you stay here long enough, and eventually over time you can talk to people who've been in, in our church, we are not a perfect church. But we do believe in a perfect Savior. And our deepest, greatest desire for you and for everyone who calls Canterbury home is that your life is totally going to be centered around who Jesus is and what he says. And that will shape everything in your life. And if that is you, if you've got any questions about our church, please come and chat to myself or anyone who calls Canterbury home. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Uh, Part of our church philosophy and I guess our our understanding is to see and spend time in God's Word, the Bible. Uh, And so over this year, you're going to see that we're going to take a a bit of time uh, to deliberately kind of slowly walk through certain um, books of the Bible. And this uh, January till early February, we're going to spend some time in some sections of the book of Proverbs. Uh, We're going to be finishing up our John series, which we started last year. Uh, We're also going to be spending a bit of time exploring one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And then towards the end of the year, we're going to, Lord willing, finish in 2 Timothy before we head to Christmas. So that's the plan. Uh, So you can be praying. Why I'm sharing that with you is to be praying for those things, to maybe even start reading some of that, to be praying for those who will be preaching through that series. Now, as we come to this book of Proverbs, you will find it in the Old Testament. Now, uh, Proverbs is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible because you can actually take little snippets. And I find in my conversations in ministry over time, particularly guys like Proverbs. It's not too complicated. It's just black and white. This is what it is. Uh, you know, this, if you want to know wisdom, this is what it says. This is what it means to raise a child. This is what it means to deal with conflict. Uh, there's a bunch of things in Proverbs. Uh, to kind of set the scene for us, Proverbs was uh, most probably at least initially written by a guy called Solomon, or at least, the very least, he collected all the content that we have in front of us. But there's also other people. There's Hezekiah as a king. His uh, men were also involved in putting some writings in. There's two batches of sayings from a group that they just called themselves the wise, which is a cool name, I thought. And there's also oracles from Agar and Lemuel. And then there's also uh, the song of praise in Proverbs 31, the favorite chapter of all the women in history. Some are like, please, Shabu. Um, that's another time you can tell me, talk to me about that. But most probably, the very least, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, uh, David's son, a very wise king, and uh, that's what his prayer was, and God gave him that, and you'll see that in his life. He was very much probably put these things together at the start anyway. The reason why I'm sharing that with you is in our church, we don't believe the Bible is just some sort of 
textbook. We actually believe in its uh, authentic uh, realities of what, what it says and what, who it speaks of. That we, we, we actually believe these are real people, real places, real time in history. It actually happened. It's not made up. But at the heart of it, it was actually to point you and I to who God is. And this is why we spend time in the Bible. And this is why even the Bible in 2020, even though Proverbs was written such a very long time ago, is relevant today because the Spirit of God makes it come alive. And the audience that this proverb starts with is writing to a young man. Uh, This young man will most probably face a bunch of situations in his life and is to provide concrete examples of what it means to lead a wise life. And the idea is that if you're going to be wise, pay attention because there's benefits from listening to this wisdom. Uh, there's a variety of things that Proverbs covers, right? If you have read it, there's things about diligence, there's things about laziness, there's things about friendship, there's things about how to speak, there's things about marriage, even child raising, there's things about how to have peace in your home, domestic peace, there's getting along, good manners, there's a bunch of things. Even the very uh, idea of eternity is mentioned in Proverbs. All of this is to say that this is God's word, and it is true, and it has relevance and application for your life today as well. So with that in mind, what we're going to do is start in Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to be spending our time in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 this morning. If you have a Bible, please turn there. If you don't, it's up here on the screen if you can read that. Here is God's word. I'm reading from the ESV version. You might have a different version. That's fine. Uh, And let's start. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise here increase in learning. The one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their um, riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. You know every single person here. You know the week that we've had. You know the year that is ahead. whether if we are people who are a bit burnt out from our experience when it comes to faith, or whether if we are people who are followers and committed, or whether we are skeptical and seeking, would you speak to us through your word? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make these words come alive, not just to our heads, but to our hearts. I pray this in your name. Amen. Some Siri was asking me how I can help. Uh, I don't know how I can help Siri. Thank you, though. Um, Siri's listening. That's a bit weird. Okay. Um, now, when, when I think about wisdom, or when you think about wisdom, uh, let me ask you, how do you begin to explore this big topic of wisdom? Where do you set the foundation? Well, in other words, what I want to explore this morning is this. To 
consider what is the foundation of a wise person. Or another way to put it, how to be wise and where do you begin? How to be wise and where do you begin? I mean, if I asked you, how do you grow in wisdom in your everyday life? What do you seek? How do you grow wise in the things that you face in everyday life? My guess is, particularly in 2020, most of us will say something like this. I Google it. I might listen to a podcast. Um, I might listen to a TED talk. I might, you know, YouTube and see what's there. And these are not necessarily all bad things. But you need to ask the question as you listen to these things, as you watch these things, what's the foundation of the wisdom that they're sharing? Uh, This past week during the holidays this week, I was watching a documentary about... um, a topic that was pretty significant, but I won't go into the details, but there's this moment where a great um, modern theologian by the name of Oprah is sitting with a religious leader uh, of our time, and they're talking about faith. And they're talking about these, uh, the significance of the oneness and the oneness of faith and all this language. And I'm listening, and you know what? There's this moment where I'm going, that sounds, yeah, yeah maybe. Now, I didn't agree with them, by the way. But it sounds subtle, and it's easy to be influenced by these things. So the question I have for you, how do you seek wisdom? How do I seek wisdom? And when we do seek this wisdom, is, it, is the foundation based on people's thoughts and perceptions? Or is it based on something far greater and far more beautiful? And the verses that we just read together... What we have in verses 1 to 7 is kind of like a foundation. If you can imagine a father who's a king, who's writing to a son that he dearly loves, and he wants to instruct him in the the ways of life, where does he begin? Does he jump straight into the practicalities? No, he wants to set the foundation first. And he wants to set the foundation, and that's what he does in these verses, to, to know wisdom, to know instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instructions in wise dealings, in righteousness, in justice, and equity. This language of shrewdness that comes in the ESV is a sense is to say, hey, don't be naive to the pitfalls of this life, particularly for those of us who are simple, meaning that the context is immorally naive, meaning that you're just going to, oh yeah, that seems okay, right? What's wrong with it? And so this Solomon is writing to his son and he's making a statement straight away. Whether you see yourself as wise, whether you are young, whether you are old, to be truly wise, before you begin the information download, to to really experience true wisdom, and particularly in the context of Proverbs, as you read through all of Proverbs, There's a bunch of things that it speaks of, real practical stuff, of how to parent, how to discipline, how to uh, give exhortation and warning. There's even moral training and instruction to to kind of set the foundation before you jump into these things. There's a foundation that Solomon is hoping that his son will build on. And what is that foundation? It's right there in front of us in verse 7. 
Read it with me again. The fear of the Lord is beginning of all wisdom. Uh, another way to put it, or probably a better way to put it, I'd say, or argue, is to say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of discernment. It's the picture that's given a contrast. That's where it says at the end, right? Uh, That fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a contrast going on in that verse. Uh, The person that's a fool in this, particularly in Proverbs, in these verses, as one combinator put it, they might have the mental intelligence, they might have mental intelligence of being really wise, but at the heart of it, they're morally foolish. In other words, as one commentator put it again, they are stubborn and thick-brained. I like the way they put that. The point here is as you read Proverbs, as we explore that over the next few weeks, is to ask the question, who am I? Foolish or wise? And to, to set the foundation, the author says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Now, the fear of the Lord, I'm not sure if that comes across in your dinner conversations. Uh, it seems pretty archaic. It seems pretty like an old term, particularly used in 2020. But you know what? The language of the fear of the Lord is one of the most significant languages in all of the Bible. Not just the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. It was the foundation that set people up in their relationship with God. That's where they began. And for those of us, uh, when we're exploring this, particularly if you are new to the Christian faith, uh, maybe even exploring to see if Jesus is true, this sounds a bit weird. The idea, the fear of the Lord. Should be, are you asking me to be scared of your Christian God? That sounds a bit archaic and really old and ancient and weird. And maybe you have grown up in kind of church backgrounds that are fairly legalistic and all about rules and regulations, what not to wear, what not to do, what not to eat, all these things. And the fear of the Lord is this been drilled into you, this picture of a God who's waiting there with a baseball bat or a little cane to whack you across the hands as soon as you step across the line. There are those of us, maybe, who struggle with this language of the fear of the Lord because it feels like, hey, wait, isn't God love? You know, isn't he kind and gracious and compassionate? This fear of, oh, sounds, I don't know, how does this fit? Well, then, those of us, myself included, it's just a theological term and we just put it in a little box. Friends, for those who are listening to this, particularly the Son and then the people of Israel and then the people of the Bible and then even now today, it stirs something in them. And when they hear the fear of the Lord, it causes their heart to turn around and go, God, the creator of the universe, this one who rules and reigns, He is both fearful, but he is also wonderful. And there's this wonder that is connected and mixed in. In the Old Testament particularly, there's this threefold picture of what fear of the Lord means. There's this meaning of being in dread, in terror. Right? The story of Moses. Take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. 
Then there's this other picture of standing in awe of who God is. And then finally, to revere, to respect. In this idea, there's this tension going on. There's this tension of, if you can imagine, someone saying, the fear of the Lord, they're shrieking and they're coming close and they're like, oh, this is God most high, holy. But there's something drawing them to him. This is awe and adoration of who he is. This is a great picture in Exodus where Moses says, Hey, come, come to the Lord. And the people are scared. But he says, Do not fear. This is this language of do not fear, is this mixed in in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is expressed with reverential submission ultimately to his will because of who he is. And this is why Proverbs starts here. This is what Proverbs says. This is the foundation for true wisdom. This is the foundation for living a disciplined life under God's loving care. This is the reason why the fear of the Lord should stir us to hate evil and sin. And this is why we avoid sin. We run and flee and fight sin. And as this grows in us, this is imagery in Proverbs, a true imagery of prolonged life. This is the foundation that all of wisdom, particularly biblical wisdom, particularly wisdom from God, is built on. So you want to know how you can grow in wisdom? It is not fast. It's actually deliberately slow. Now, I know you and I, we live in a very quick I need it now age when it comes to wisdom, I think. And this is going to show my age a little bit. How many of you saw the movie Matrix? Okay, I'm just going to write your names down. Oh, no. Uh, <clears throat> there was a season, it was a really bad season in Christian history, where Matrix became the sermon illustration for every pastor in the world. Right? Which pill are you going to take? This is, anyway. Um, but there's a scene where the main character turns around and he, you know, he's awakened to the reality of what the matrix is and then he's plugged in and he plugs in and they they plug him in to learn something and there's this moment where he plugged into it and he wakes up and he says his famous line i know kung fu i think when it comes to our world and the world that we live in that's the kind of wisdom we prefer plug it in teach me how to parent now plug done Avoid sin. Plug. Done. Friends, that's not the picture of the Bible. And it's because God wants us to start with a good, solid foundation. You and I live in a constant world that we're constantly downloading information all the time. Whether it is to make wise on how to make good coffee, whether it is to make wise on how to set a good budget, how to raise kids, how to plan for your retirement, maybe for that perfect golf swing, maybe to even understand the Christian faith, maybe even to know how to perfectly plant that perfect garden. Apparently there is such wisdom around. But here's the thing, all of that wisdom that we're trying to download is ultimately for our own benefit. It's inward seeking. So to really understand biblical wisdom, to see how God has designed wisdom, there needs to be a foundation. 
Our foundation is ultimately where God is the center. God is the foundation and then we built around him and who he is and what he says. It begins with knowing him. It begins with a reverence of who he is. It begins with a relationship with him first. It has to start there. You and I could live really great, moral, good, upright lives. But at the end of the day, that life is built around us. It's not built around where God is the center. And that is imagery constantly in the Old Testament where the people of Israel, if you can imagine, they would have in the center and they would camp around in the presence of the Lord. And later on, as the temple is built, they build their cities around this idea of where God is center. And this is what God desires. This is the foundation of seeking true wisdom. Because when we are in awe of Him, when we revere Him, when we see Him as the one and only true God who says, fear Him, that begins really shaping for us what wisdom is really about and knowledge is about. And here, this is why the Proverbs language is very strong in saying that if you're not having this foundation, and if you're not seeking this as the foundation first, guess what? You're a fool. I'm a fool. So the question is, how are we seeking wisdom today? What are we seeking our wisdom based on? Is God the foundation? You know, in the in proverb language, particularly as you read Proverbs, there are two voices constantly going on. Uh, there is the voice of wisdom calling out, and there's also the voice of folly calling out. And as you read and listen to Proverbs, there's this question, who am I listening to? What am I listening to? Is it one, is the voice that I'm listening to based on the foundation that who God is in reverence and fear of Him? Or am I listening to the voice that's basically telling me to do everything opposite to what God says? And as I was sitting here and thinking about this, what, what does this look like? What does it mean to have a sense of fear of the Lord that gives wisdom to shape everything in your life? Well, see, in Proverbs, there's a bunch of topics this is covering, from parenting to conflict resolution to sexual, um, uh, fleeing sexual immorality. And so as I was thinking about this, I thought I'd give you some examples as I've been wrestling through this past week on this particular topic. So, for example, in parenting... Now, obviously, I'm a great expert at parenting these days. I have eight years of experience. That's my oldest. That's a joke. I have no idea what I'm doing. You can ask my wife. She will vouch for that. So, but the thing is, what I've been personally challenged with is this. One way to raise up my kids to, to, to be really good moral kids is to teach them all about good behavior alone. And we should. We should raise them to be good kids and to be good citizens in the world that they live in. And maybe I could even put Christian label on it to say, in a sense, the fear of the Lord. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you. And you know, I've done that. I've done that so often, sadly. But maybe the better way to do it is to come alongside my eldest who's struggling with how things are not going his way. <laughs> and saying to him, hey, you know what, buddy? 
that sucks. Because guess what? Dad definitely understands what that feels like. But you know what? God has a better way. Because God's wisdom is that his way is better than mine. So maybe you and I could pray together. Let's pray. And ask God to give us the strength to submit to his way and his will. And when I say this, please, friends, don't assume I do this all the time. (laughs) Far from it. But the idea is to drill deep into their hearts. What about sexual temptation that everyone has faced here uh, right in the midst of it right now? Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young or old. Here in Proverbs, you have Lady Wisdom calling out. And you have the harlot also calling out. There's these two voices warring against one another. One way to fight this is this. Just stop. Stop doing it. Don't listen to those things. Don't look at those things. And maybe that's an initial start. But friends, it doesn't get to the heart of the problem. Maybe a better way is to say is, hey, you know what? Right now, that temptation that you're wanting to run to, whatever it might be, guess what? Look to God. He offers something better. Look to who he is and what he's created to be, particularly in the view of sex. His design is far better than yours and mine and the world's perception. In a sense, what we're drilling in for is a sense of reverence, saying if you have a view of God and who he is, as you consume that more, that should shape your heart to turn away or run away or the very least cry out for help to him and to others. And the goal is to glorify him. What about in the moments of conflict? My guess is in 2020, all of us will face some sort of conflict. Some of us deal with conflict in this way. There's no conflict at all. Everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. Uh, Some of us just want to avoid it, go to sleep. Uh, Some of us, when conflict happens, all right, let's go. I've got my 10 points. I've got my A4 piece of paper ready to go. Here it is. And what ultimately it does, it turns into this mess where ultimately it becomes about you and I and the conflict that's going on has nothing to do with the glory of God. When two followers of Christ come together, when they have this view that this conflict that's happening between two Christians, there's something far greater at stake. God's glory is at stake. When he's the center in that conflict then we move towards actually reconciling because God desires it for his glory. And that brings greater fruit. Now friends, I could go on, but at the heart of it is to say, if God is the foundation, if the fear of the Lord is the foundation of everything in your life, that really displays true wisdom. And so the question for you and I is, who are we? Are we a fool or are we going to be wise people who build our lives based on the fear of the Lord? As you and I grow in this, as we grow in the sense of fear and reverence of who God is, in any situation, it should cause us to have humble postures. Because God is the one we are called to fear. Whether you're young or old, wise or foolish. I think one of the things I've seen over and over again, sadly, 
is when the younger generation don't seek the counsel of those who are older who fear the Lord. At the same point, it's a sad thing when I see older men and women who also don't seek the counsel of younger men and women who also fear the Lord. When Christ, or God is the foundation, when his purpose of fearing him and in reverence of him, whoever you are, the posture of seeking wisdom is a humble one. And with this as a foundation, the question is, how are we going to pursue wisdom in 2020? When you and I grow in a fear of who God is, when our hearts grow in relationship and reverence of him, it causes our hearts to then see a humble posture, to be open to seeking God's wisdom in what he says. Do you notice what Solomon is saying is he says often, hear my word. The ultimate reverence kind of shaping thing is God's word. The Bible is there not just for us to know about us, but it's to know who God is and grow in this awe of who he is. This is what it means to seek true wisdom. So how do we do this, like I was sharing? Firstly, if you don't know who this God is, there's no point in you seeking wisdom. The first starting point for you and I is, do you know God? The one who is the holy, majestic God. The one who is the consuming fire. The one who spoke and life began. The one who gives his instructions in the Bible, not so that you are in a sense feeling bad, but actually it's for there for your benefit. To shape you, to call you to run to him. Friends, that's where you need to begin first. And if the Bible's declaration is, if you don't, ultimately you're being a fool. For those of us who you think that followers of God have got it together, you're in a room full of fools. You and I are in a room full of fools. Because I've got news for you, we definitely haven't got it together. I would love to say to you that we all had it together, but at the end of the day, often we are still tempted to be fools. And you know what's the remedy for all of this? Is the remedy to then read Proverbs, memorize, and just keep trying harder? No, my friends. The remedy is this, to actually once again turn our gaze away from ourselves the gaze to the one who actually lived this out all of his life here on this earth. I mean, the very wisdom of this was what formed Jesus' life. This is why Solomon starts, the son of David, in this same line would come someone that all the Bible was yearning for. The one who is described by the gospel writers in the gospel of Luke. Do you remember that scene where Jesus runs away from his parents and he goes into the temple and he's having this discussion with them and the parents come and say to them in Luke 2, why, where have you been? And he turns around and says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? As they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, he went down to them and came to Nazareth and Jesus himself was submissive to his earthly parents because that's what the word says. It was fully obeying and it says his mother treasured up all these things as hard and then it says Jesus increased in what in wisdom and in stature 
and in favor with God. This Jesus is our perfect example of this. The one who was driven by his ultimate desire to do whatever the Father wanted him to do, 100%. The one who submitted his life in full wisdom, in submission to his Father's will, to even die on the cross so that you and I are no longer distant, so that we can actually approach the Holy of Holies through Him. Friends, this is what Jesus has done. And this is why the Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians these words. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek, Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called by Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. Friends, it ultimately begins, the fear of the Lord begins with you and I, whether if you're young or old or seeker or follower, whoever you are, to come in weakness to the one who is the true wisdom. To come in our brokenness to Him. That is totally countercultural. I don't know if you've seen this already in 2020. I keep on seeing this. 2020, I've got this. Really? According to what the Word says, no, you don't. I don't. Maybe the better way is to say, Jesus, you are the wise one. You are the perfect one whose ways and strategies are better than mine in all areas of life. I surrender to you. I seek you. Please help me to build my foundation on you and who you are. You know what that means for us in 2020? Here's some things to consider as we wrap up. Firstly, do you know God? You will not understand the knowledge of knowing the fear of the Lord until you know Him. Do you know Him? If you don't, we'd love to explore that with you this year. Do you have a right understanding what it means to have fear and reverence of the Lord? Maybe you're a bit afraid to look into it. Can I encourage you? Don't. <laughs> It'll be good for your soul. What wisdom are you listening to that is not based on the foundation and reverence of God? What podcasts are, li- are you listening to? What sermon series are you listening to? Are they stirring in you a reverence of who God is or is actually pulling you away? Is there sin in your life? We are called to fight sin, not in our own flesh, by the power of the Spirit. But is it in your wisdom? Or in the wisdom of who God is? And how He explains it through His Word and in Christian community. And whatever season you're in life you're in, before you run to Google, before you and I run to Google, before we run to our podcasts, before we run to whatever it is that's familiar to us, Maybe we need to pause and say, Lord, what's, please give me wisdom. Jesus said, ask and the Father will give. 
He wants you to grow in reverence of God. That's a good thing to ask. He says, ask for wisdom, and he will give wisdom. You might not like what you hear, but it's good for you and I. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Christ is our perfect one, who is the great wise one. He is the wisdom of God displayed for you and I. And this is why, if you're a follower of Jesus, in light of the cross, you're called to be fools. Fools for Christ, living under his wisdom, under his authority and his power. Let me pray. Father, what a thought it is that we as people can have relationship with the creator of the universe. We as a people are called to be in reverence of you. For those of us who know you, grow that in us this year. For those of us who don't know you, stir our affections, cause us to see who you are and who we are so we may know you. Turn our eyes to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.